So welcome back to the Michigan Draws Executive Perspective podcast Middle East series. For today's session, we're going to focus on innovation within telemedicine and how it is shaping the future of healthcare. So with me today, we have Fadel Banturkia, CEO of Okadoc, and we also have with us Dr. Michael Johnson. He's entrepreneur in residence and lecturer at the Michigan Ross School of Business. Just a quick background. So Fodil was named GCC's top 40 uh, top entrepreneurs in the region and in the GCC and the business leaders under 40, as well as the company he founded, uh, Okadoc, was named Arabian Business Startup of the Year. A lot of responsibilities with these awards and titles to carry with you. And we also have uh, Mike, who is the faculty managing director of the Zellori Commercialization Fund. His area of specialization is entrepreneurship, venture capital, technology, healthcare. He joined us in Michigan Ross from Flagship Ventures where he led the Midwest office for social lines uh, for the life uh, sciences uh, venture capital fund. So uh, I think here it's worth saying that you hold a, uh, two degrees, one as an MD and the other one as an MBA from Michigan Medical School and Michigan Ross, as well as a BA in, from Duke University. So just like we promised uh, to our audience, we have top faculty members from Ross, as well as we have inspirational business leaders who are going to take us through what is telemedicine now and the future of telemedicine. Uh, with that, let me start with Fodel. Another warm welcome to you. And uh, I would like to start with a very basic question, which is, what was the spark that resulted in founding Okadoc? And what were the main problems that you were trying to solve and how did you actually solve them? Hi, Jay. Thank you so much for having me today. And hi, Michael. As Dr. Michael, really great to uh, share this session with you today. What really sparked the uh, idea of Okadoc was really a, a personal experience. I myself been in the uh, technology uh, and e-commerce field for the last 10 years, really uh, doing what I loved uh, the most, building uh, technologies and products that gives a better experience to, uh, to consumers in the e-commerce field. But I just got sick, basically, and I wanted to make an appointment with my doctor. It was during working hours, during working days, and it took me 15 minutes not to get an appointment. And, you know, it just ended up with uh, me uh, on the other side of the line uh, getting nothing but the music. And uh, I thought that if technologies like e-commerce or travel are able to allow millions or billions of people to buy a product online, get it delivered in a couple of hours, or book a ticket to travel all over the world is something that become just a normal way of life. Why can't we just book an appointment with our doctor? And that just simple question, really, I couldn't find any platform that offered that kind of experience. And this was really the beginning of building um, Okadoc really to solve this problem and really focusing on a simple product that solved a, what I believe is a, a simple problem from a technical perspective, but that can solve really a lot of problems from a patient perspective. Uh, so this is really what started, obviously, as we've been going through, we realized that technology can solve more than patient problems. It could solve also healthcare providers' problems, like reducing no-show. Today, we have built a technology that can reduce no-show by up to 75%, and no-show is quite high here in the Middle East compared to other regions. So this is really how, uh, how it started, and of course, the journey in the last three years has been really great and we have built up new features and new products to in line with this mission that really sparked the creation of Okadoc. Our mission is 
to improve the healthcare experience for all. By all, we mean patients, we mean healthcare providers, and everything we do is really in line with this mission. Okay, excellent. So uh, basically, so this came out of your personal experience before the pandemic hit. But now what we're, talk, what we're saying is that the pandemic has actually accelerated the adoption of technology. And you were using technology within uh, OkaDoc to improve the patient's experience. So can you tell me, for example, how do you see the rate of acceleration happen in the region, in the Middle East and worldwide? And can you give us an example of how you saw that technology go, not just into, for example, the journey of the patient, but in other areas within healthcare? One of the challenges we've been facing was really the adoptions from both sides, uh, from the patient side and as well as from a healthcare provider side. When with COVID and the pandemic started, what we have seen is an immediate acceleration toward or shift toward teleconsultation. And what we have seen is that a lot of doctors and healthcare providers could not operate for a, a few months as everyone was on quarantine or lockdowns. We've seen some doctors or patients not being able to reach out to each other. So really what we have seen is a, a tremendous shift in adoption and requirement uh, of technology for teleconsultation or video consultations. And this is where we, we have been shifting. But as the region has started reopening with some measures and, 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 and safety, safety measures, we have seen again another kind of shift, which is we don't want to rely anymore on a call center to just make appointments because during the lockdown, we could not operate our call center. So we want to make sure that this does not happen again in case if there is a second lockdown. And we have seen again an immediate shift back toward we want to move our appointments more online, uh, which will allow scalability and flexibility in being able to serve all the patients. And then we have seen all kind of adoptions. Uh, we've seen an acceptance on trying to get the entire experience online, really from a patient journey. So we started with booking. That booking could be for an in-person consultation or a video consultation. But then we've seen the adoption of how do we ensure that documents can be shared between healthcare providers and patients. And then we've seen how can a healthcare provider be able to deliver a prescription or the, from the, the medicine to the patient. We've seen also an adoption in trying really to change the entire mindset of the company, trying to get the transactions being online to avoid payments through contact or touching cards or cash. So, so really looking at even how you can allow patients to be able to buy. And we've seen actually certain, let's say, way of delivering care that maybe were kind of very niche becoming mainstream, like for example, home healthcare. We have seen home healthcare completely booming and uh, that there is way more requests than availability of this kind of supply. And finally, what we are seeing is now, I would say after almost uh, about a year, is we're talking about now the vaccine and our platform is available for, for vaccine already in Abu Dhabi and we're starting soon in Dubai and, and seeing how do you, can you manage millions of people, you know, to, to book their vaccine and you can do it pretty much only online. Uh, there's no call center or in a short period of time that can handle millions of appointments and as well the PCR tests, right? We've seen a lot of people queuing to get their test. Uh, that is not safe. That is not very convenient. So we're really seeing now that everything that a healthcare provider is required to do, they are thinking way more technology first or digitalization first, because they are realizing that if they don't think 
that at first at the first place this will require a lot of hirings a lot of operations and massive delays or even delivering a really poor patient experience yeah absolutely i mean uh, uh, that's one of the reasons i'm really happy to talk to you here because when you mention uh, telehealth or telemedicine people think that it's a video appointment with a doctor what a lot of people miss is that it's much much broader than that i mean this is part i mean having that video interface or being able to communicate with your physician remotely is one of the pieces, one of the many pieces that make up healthcare or digital healthcare. So here we're talking about, for example, reducing the paperwork, improving the insurance services, improving the patient journey where you don't have to wait because when you reduce no-shows, you're actually improving the wait time at the clinic, even though you're not doing it remotely. So these are great examples that show just some of the pieces that fit within the overall healthcare. Mike, if you don't mind now, I have a question for you coming from that perspective, which is, I was doing my research and I saw that in the Commonwealth Fund report that they have seen virtual medical visits, which is the piece I was referring to earlier, go from almost zero at the beginning of 2020 to about 14% in the summer. So it seems like the adoption barriers, even though 15% is still low, but the adoption barriers have broken in a way. So what's your opinion is the future of telemedicine, knowing all the pieces that we talked about that make up telemedicine? And what do you think are their drivers or their inhibitors in your mind? Yeah, thanks again for having me, Jay. And Paul, so great to meet you. And congrats on all the progress you're making at Aqueduct. I think you have, we have here an amazing example of what's happening in telemedicine. So very happy to talk to you. It's a broad subject, Jay, right? I mean, whenever I think about future in general and thinking about what's going to happen in any space, I, I sometimes think of the frame that, that Jeff Bezos laid out for Amazon, right? Very innovative company, thinks about the way that technology is going to change the future, but then also asks fundamentally what's not going to change. So I would kind of start there, right? What we want to get to is better patient care where physicians have the time that they can, they can allot for correct care. And so that should be the focus on how we can leverage technology towards changing that, right? And the, the pandemic has been obviously a, a calamity and tragic in so many ways, but one way, really the bright spot has been in a bunch of aspects of healthcare, but especially around telehealth. And that acceleration, I think, will continue in a lot of ways. The numbers are even greater, or the spike was even higher than what you're referencing there. And it's come back down some, right? And I think we'll, we'll see that and we'll find kind of the middle ground in the right places, but... There are lots of ways to think about the ways telemedicine will change things. I think Akadak is a good example in, in a bunch of what they're doing. So maybe a first step is to think about the aspects around a visit, kind of the logistics, the mechanics of, of accessing your physician. So in scheduling appointments and in billing, much of what we can do to automate and make better patient experiences around those aspects. And then I think there's going to be important changes in clinical care as well. And it's not going to be all aspects of care, right? So the, the places in which you still need to interact heavily with your clinician will remain. I think about something like, you know, in orthopedics, but in a bunch of aspects that are more amenable to, to telemedicine, to telehealth visits, some aspects of primary care, a bunch of aspects along prevention of disease progression and chronic care management, I think will become increasingly important in telemedicine visits. So... Those are the few of the things that I would identify right away. If we think more broadly about drivers and inhibitors, as you said, of adoption of these kind of technologies, start on the driver's side, right? 
better patient experiences are going to fuel all this demand for better services. I think we are seeing that push in patients demanding better access, right? Lower cost in general, better experiences, and that'll help push some of the other aspects on the inhibitor side with regard to regulatory and reimbursement and how things get paid for the ability to access patients across different, what had been previous geographical limitations, right? And so moving some of those things as well. So on the, on the inhibitor side, I would mention things like the fundamental conservatism of medicine, right? There's the, the Hippocratic Oath that we have in medicine, first do no harm, which is a really valuable perspective, of course, right? The idea that we don't want to adopt new interventions that could make patient care worse. And so it, we're appropriately conservative in medicine, but that also is sometimes a barrier to adoption. I think what we're seeing now in healthcare, fortunately, is we're, we're approaching some inflection point with the adoption of software and technology. We have increasing data. We have the infrastructure that we need to be able to do these things better. And so that's a barrier that's largely being overcome now and, and is, gonna, is gonna turn into kind of a tailwind for us. And then of course, in healthcare, we always have to think about the other stakeholders at play here. So how are things actually paid for? What regulatory structure is in place? And I think what you've seen during the pandemic is some understanding of the need to make changes there and not everything will be retained, but by and large, we'll get an acceleration towards better understanding of the need for, for telemedicine and telehealth and, and why it can improve care. So I'll stop there. That's okay. a, a lot on what it could be. No, no, actually, but I want to uh, drill down on a couple of points you mentioned, which is the regulatory part and the accessibility, uh, the access to data and, and the associated privacy and the regulations around, uh, around that. Because innovation like cloud computing and cloud and computing science and artificial intelligence are all based on access to that kind of data. So really under the umbrella of that restrictions or the regulatory restrictions, which is quite common across many countries in the world, and even though the U.S. might be a bit more on the complexity side. Where do you see the parts of the healthcare experience of the patient be improved with the minimum amount or minimum level of restrictions? So which technology, which innovation is impacting which part of the healthcare experience? Well, on the, on the regulatory side, right, I think what you're seeing, and I, I guess I would group kind of a couple of these stakeholders and in, in to answer your question around regulations and, and finding ways to make things easier and then, and then payment associated that, right? And oftentimes, and, and including in the United States, there'll be large government payers. And so aspects like coverage for telehealth visits, right? And the way that we treat those appointments and doctor and, and clinician interactions relative to in-person appointments is, is obviously really important in incentivizing adoption of these aspects. There's a bunch of other rules to think about with regard to how you can access patients. So in the United States, something we think across, across states, right? And the ability of a clinician who's now operating virtually to be able to access patients. But that, of course, has implications everywhere and across the world. So in thinking about some of the regulations and who you're able to treat and what that relationship looks like, I think we're seeing improvements there in starting to understand the potential of virtual appointments. Yeah, with regards to these larger questions around aspects of innovation in healthcare, I think you could look at companies that are starting to show traction and progress. I mean, there are loads of them. Uh, I think Octodoc's a good story to start to think about that, and I'm sure there's good data that's starting to support some of these initiatives. But you know, I think of a company like Omada Health and, and what they've been able to start to do in diabetes prevention. So in certain aspects 
of clinical care and patient management, including those where we, we can leverage technology towards better prevention and towards reduced costs, right? We've seen the implementation of those technologies and some good success stories start to build. And, and what I think you get is a reinforcing cycle, better patient experiences, more data that's generated, better results, and then that will help to push kind of the policy side more to get to the better realization of these things. I mean, we are, we are far behind in healthcare. We've seen a revolution in software that's changed the way that we've lived. It's created enormous value for startup companies. It's transformed the business landscape and we're still lagging. And so really what I'm, what I'm suggesting is this is just gonna be the appropriate realization of a bunch of ways that software and technology can improve everything. And in the same way it's improved customer experiences throughout a bunch of aspects of business, it's gonna to help to improve patient experiences in healthcare. We just have some barriers to overcome there first. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those uh, barriers we talk about that will hopefully uh, enable telemedicine to take its true potential is not just based on one country or one sector of healthcare. It's really across the world. I mean, we've seen initiatives in some countries, but they're still limited in terms of what they can achieve. So this is why I think I would say this session today is quite interesting to me because on one hand, we have Fodel who's been, who's gone through the growing pains of starting this company and within healthcare in a, in, in a sector basically that's slower to adopt technology or software or innovation uh, than other sectors in this case. And then on, on the other side, we have you, Mike, where you are an MD and you specialize in entrepreneurship and venture capital and technology. So basically you mentor those who actually want to incubate these, who wants to start these companies. So Fodel, I would like to get the two perspectives here. So Fodel, if you can tell me a little bit, you mentioned the challenges that you had in the marketplace in terms of adoption and barriers, but can you tell me more about the challenges of starting up the business in the Middle East? What kind of challenges did you face founding that business? And then on the other hand, based on what he's gonna say, Mike, do you have a blueprint or a thought or view on or insight into what they can use as a blueprint to incubate and accelerate companies like Okadoc. So for the, when you started that and you had that spark and you wanted to do it, the startup ecosystem is fairly new in the Middle East, even though it's been accelerating extremely rapidly. But the one, for example, in the US has been in existence since the early 20s when it started with HP in the Silicon Valley. So what was your experience? I'm very interested in that. Look, I mean, um, to be fair, it was not the first startup for me. So I had a lot of learnings and, and from previous failures or previous mistakes that we, must have, we may have done. As you said, at that time, three years ago, the ecosystem was already accelerating. We haven't really faced a lot of issues in fundraising, even though it was not that easy, but we, we felt that the investors that we've met really understood the problems we were solving for both patient and healthcare providers. Obviously, I would argue that it would be maybe easier in, in the US or in other markets, but I would genuinely say that in the Middle East, it's, it's getting really better. And this was really not like the biggest challenge that we had. Really the biggest challenge that we got were one, the adoption. We felt that when we started e-commerce in 2010 in the Middle East, we had to really educate a lot, both the patient and the sellers or the brands or the retailers. And, and we've seen this kind of transition over 10 years happening where at the beginning, they did not really trust it or believe in it. 
And then after a few years, retailers were thinking about, okay, now we believe in omni-channel, we need to have kind of an e-commerce channel or an online selling channel. And then now we're seeing them closing down actually their shops and going mainly online. So that kind of transition that we have seen from retailers, obviously healthcare is different, but we, we just faced a lot of difficulties in trust, having healthcare provider trusting a startup and, or trusting the digital world. So they were already aware about digital, but they, don't, they didn't necessarily know how to go about it and, and, and who to trust in the market to go uh, because they have seen companies like Okadoc available in the market, similar, and they could not sustain and, and go for the long run. So they had also their doubt. The way we've came across those challenges, and, and there is another challenge that we've seen that is very, I would say, a modern challenge is the Uber and Deliveroo effect of those technology companies start by solving a problem, but they end up eating all our business and getting us out of business, right? Or eating, taking most of the margin. And that is another problem because healthcare providers also have this fair concern on what will be the impact on relying on a company. What we have done to really come across those challenges, one was really to stick to our mission as a company and as a team, which was genuinely to improve the healthcare experience for all, because this is what we faced and we thought that we want to deliver that. And we're not into a business of fancy business. This is healthcare. It's about the life of people. It's about the, the health of people. So for us, there was no ego or way of thinking that it has to happen on the Okadoc platform. So we really listened a lot to our customers and we had this very open relationship with them and open conversations where we said, tell us what are your concerns, tell us what are the problems you want us to solve and how you want us to solve them for you. And, um, and what we realized is that for them, having a white label solution was extremely important because they felt that they don't want their patient to be in a marketplace where they can find many other doctors and they might lose their patients, right? That was one of the concerns they had. When we looked at the data, we've showed them through their own data and our data that 90% of their appointments are happening with patients visiting the same doctors, right? Their own doctors. So in reality, data is showing that the patient will never change a doctor just because they found another doctor bookable online. You have your doctors, they have your file, they have your history, your family is with them. So you don't really change, but that was a perception. And to support them, we've shown this data, but we've also said, well, we're happy to build a scalable, a white label solution. And we provide them with an iframe that they put on their website or they can, we can provide on the insurance website as well, where they can have only their doctors. So when a patient lands into their website, we provide them in 10 lines of code an iframe that they put on their website and they have the full Okadoc experience which shows that we're not necessarily willing to have people on Okadoc only, but wherever they are, right? And, and I think that kind of conversation really helped a lot to build this kind of trust between Okadoc uh, technology and uh, the healthcare providers. So these are some of the challenges that we faced. I think what we really cared about and what we show them is that if there's one thing we care about is building a great experience for both parties. And one of the things we've seen is that the initially said, we want you to just, you know, put the availabilities and we will call back the patient, right? And it was like more of a lead generation. And we refused that. We said, we will not allow you to use our calendar and you will be having your hospital information system and you'll be having two technologies 
not thinking, right? That is not good for the patient. If I book a ticket online to travel, I'm not expecting a callback or that someone has booked already the same seat. I know I'm going to the airport with confidence. I've got my tickets. I even can choose the kind of food I want to eat. And I'm very confident about that. So we pushed back and we said, we will not work with any client who will not do an integration with the hospital information system that allows a complete sync between what patients are seeing online and what is happening on the HIS. And that was our way also to say, okay, we're giving you this, but this is what we want for the patient. And that worked. That created a lot of repeat. Patients started trusting this platform, realizing that this is a real appointment and not kind of a, an appointment request that where I can expect a, a callback. And, and, and the other thing that really we had to face is that though we are solving a patient problem, it was not enough for healthcare providers. Healthcare provider says, what, what is it for me as a healthcare provider, right? And, and of course, it's, it's reduced operational costs and call center, and there's a lot of missed calls, and we show them the missed calls that they have, they have actually. But we had to also to build technologies to solve like the no-show problem, and that was one of the biggest problem. And, and today we, we're very happy that we, we really went and found the root cause of the, the no-show in the Middle East and were able to reduce it by up to 75%. And that was also another reason why those technologies are important. So this is what kind of the, what we really faced as a startup. It was really maybe the, the Uber and Deliveroo trauma of some other industries that, that happened, but also the adoption and really trying to build this trustworthy uh, relationship with the healthcare provider. This is a great success story. And not just the success comes from the challenges you were able to solve. And that's really what makes it important, that makes it worthwhile. So, Mike, listening to what Fadel had said, so if for someone who's trying to found a startup in healthcare now, in addition to what Fadel said in terms of his personal experience, for these entrepreneurs, what do you recommend in terms of them accelerating their development within healthcare and having the confidence they will succeed? I think that was great. And that was a, a pretty quick tour of some essential elements that, that I would pull out as well from, from Podal. So, you know, starting with the need and, and having something that, that he personally experienced is an essential part of this. So I, at the start end of this process, right, it's very helpful for prospective entrepreneurs and people working on companies to build as much context as they can, right? I, I think of context being very meaningful to innovation. So, Learn as much about the space as you can. Understand competitive dynamics, the market you're working in. Be systematic in your learning, and that will enable better decision-making. So part of what we want to get to in entrepreneurship is risk mitigation, a process that works more efficiently towards the goal on value creation. So become expert in your space, and that's going to enable a bunch of better choices and better questions. Start with the need, as Fodel's talking about, making sure that you understand the circumstances in which this need has emerged. So I guess I, I would kind of simplify it to make sure that you have a patient at your focus, which is clearly what, what Agadag's doing. Understand the different stakeholders involved because that's part of actually implementing a solution in healthcare. And so understand the circumstances of what the patient is trying to do, right? What's happening in their life that's meaningful? What are they trying to accomplish? What are the frustrations there? And you can do that through interviews as well and understanding the need. And then let me just say, as a point of kind of thinking about mitigation and better processes and entrepreneurship, I think about the model at, at Flagship a lot. So, so I, before I joined Ross, I was at Flagship Ventures, now Flagship Pioneering, which is famous for this process of company creation, formation, value creation, 
and they're really systematic in the process of explorations and testing and formation of a company. Things are kept highly impersonal, right? And so in, in entrepreneurship, we kind of get set an idea and we find reasons to continue with that idea. So a big part of what you need to do is, is to make failure a goal, right? You, there's a positive in failing and learning. And so the focus on that side, when we think about incubating or accelerating or how you can go through a process yourself is to really focus on that entrepreneurial aspect of testing, failing and learning. And so stay impersonal, be rigorous in your evaluation and that's going to help you to get to the thing that works best. And depending on the space you're in, right, that might mean certain kinds of science experiments, might mean customer experiments, and it definitely means regular feedback and understanding of your customers of the type that, that Photo is doing now. So those are some ways to start to think through and improve this process and to make it more efficient, hopefully leading to better results. Yeah, and it seems like uh, Fodel has gone through that process, as he mentioned earlier, that Okadak was not the first company and there were others that he started and learned from where those lessons were applied to the Okadoc structure and, and company. So I think really here, going back to what you said earlier on about the adoption being a key, I would say a critical element as well as a key uh, driver for improving uh, healthcare or pushing towards uh, telemedicine for an improved healthcare experience. So the ecosystem is very complex, as we all know, and it's got so many layers within it. But if we look at how the pandemic went in 2020, that frontline workers and taking care of them has been a very key element. And the patient experience and having solid, very solid health care for those patients was also a very key element. Uh, when you have seen hospitals getting overwhelmed, now we saw that this, the whole infrastructure could break. So looking at those two, and when you mentioned promotion uh, of these digital healthcare services, how did you, I mean, I understand how you, how you got to the point where you understood those and addressed it with the healthcare providers, but what about the patients and the physicians and the frontline workers? How would you feel about that adoption today? Look, we, as I was mentioning, we've seen really different phases during the pandemic and the frontliners, like doctors, for example, something very worrying that we've seen at the beginning is healthcare doctors losing jobs or clinic closing. And during a pandemic, seeing that was really something, you know, unbelievable. Building technologies for them was basically allowing them to keep working, to keep, and we've seen regulators here changing their regulations. So to license doctors at a very affordable kind of license fee where they can operate from home. So they were working on this kind of initiatives to really not to lose all these doctors, right? So, but at the same time, how do you provide them with a technology that is cloud-based because they are on quarantine, they need to be at home, you need to give them a secure technology, you need to onboard them online, and you need to give them a cloud-based solution that allows them to schedule, do video consultation, share documents, get paid, so they can also sustain and go through this uh, pandemic, all that online. Right? So this is what we kind of built very quickly, added the, the video consultation, which was not a, a product or a service that we had, pre-COVID, so we launched it very quickly and we've added it to the existing services that, that we had. From a frontliners, again, it could be from the nurses to any person involved, we've seen the volumes increasing significantly and the repetitive tasks that they had, a lot of them could be automated. Uh, for example, receiving the documents, the ID or the insurance card. So these are things that we 
try to take off all this kind of time from the frontliners that you know they could not just handle spend time that is needed that most important time which is to care about the patient this time is taken by administrative work so how do we streamline and and, and facilitate and automate those processes where we engage the patient in started sharing the document these documents get uploaded directly into the HIS uh, in a very secured way. And then they could do that online. They could do that before the, the patients arrive. So these are just some of the examples, but something as well, uh, maybe just to give you an example, a call center, especially, for example, recently with maybe uh, the new spikes that we have seen, call centers, again, patients wait 45 minutes an hour on a call center. And sometimes uh, you see 30, 40, 50% of of dropped calls, so half of your calls, you know, you can't insert them. I, I even seen a, a very large group here in the in the UAE. If you, you call them, they say, "Thanks for calling. Please send us an email. We will call you back," because they just can't take any more any call, right? So not only providing them with a solution that allows them allows patient to book appointment, and 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 what is very interesting is the healthcare providers during this period, the revenues are decreasing because people can't book. So that's also impacting the existence and the sustainability of the healthcare provider. And, and that being said, we've kind of built online triage. If a phone call to book an appointment takes, let's say, four minutes on average or five minutes, what are the questions that are being asked and how can we automate that as well, right? For example, there are questions that are, that are asked to patients before the, the appointment is taken, right? With regards to the age or with regards to certain previous conditions. And these are all things that the call center agent has to ask. So we've created those triage questions. And based on that, it either gives you an error response or it gives you the access to the appointment. So again, really trying to get off as many appointments from the, the call center as possible. So, so really, we've seen that technology can really help the frontline, of course, the patients on accessing the doctor immediately, on having an appointment done in 30 seconds instead of five minutes or one hour on the, on the call center but really helping core center agents, nurses, doctors. And, and, and one of the things that we've done also with doctors is we've seen that the video consultation tools that were available, they need to use two systems. And, and for them, it was complicated, even though they adopted to the change on, on how to use a different kind of tools. But what we've done is we connected directly the video consultation to the HIS. So for a doctor, they keep using the HIS, they come, they see the icon, they click on it. They, they keep having the same experience. They don't need to copy paste and move around the data, the logs, et cetera. So really working out on every single details to allow that kind of seamless experience for the healthcare provider to allow scale. You could use two different systems, but how many of patients can you process in a day? So this is really uh, what we have done and we'd really try to do it um, across the board. So really then? Yeah. Then the integration with the HIS has been uh, very important for the whole experience to happen on Absolutely. both the uh, customer side and the physician side. So without it, basically, it would have been quite difficult. Absolutely. So, so Mike, then uh, I wanted to ask you then from your view, have you seen any change in the venture capital community in terms of additional access to tools and funds? Because the last year has been quite a change maker. And did the venture capital community adapt to that change? Did they, did they, do they see things different than they did before? Uh, what's your view on the latest development and changes uh, within the venture capital community? 
Yeah, I, there's no question, right? I mean, people have been thinking about healthcare broadly as a next space for companies that are going to create value. And I think everything that we're seeing, this transition, I mean, if we just take this one piece of healthcare, this transition of what has been kind of typically done in person and moving many aspects of that virtually is going to require all of the tools that we now have for in-person translated online. The implication of that is many big companies, right? Creating enormous amounts of value. And so as we, as we create better experiences for patients and we have this kind of virtuous cycle, right? Towards value creation and companies, I think venture capital is all over that. I, I was looking at a, a Rock Health, which is a, a digital health fund report this morning, 14 billion invested across 440 deals in digital health. And so it's here, right? We're at record numbers in an understanding from the venture capital space and the effects that can happen in digital health, including in telemedicine. So and I think you'll just see, like I said, a reinforcing cycle of understanding that these companies can create value for patients, patients increasing expectation towards better access and lower costs and better care. That's gonna help to refine kind of the regulatory and, and payment uh, environment. And then you just get more and more of this in a reinforcing way. So. No, venture capital broadly is extremely excited. A huge amount of investment, and I think people are increasingly seeing the promise in what's been a challenging phase with enormous opportunities to improve people's lives and create value. And this is amazing. I think with then and it's a similar uh, observation that Foden had seen in terms of access, access to funds and tools, because as he said, this wasn't the real challenge in terms of setting up the business. It's more about the applicability of that business. So what you're saying is that now the venture capital community sees that opportunity and they're focusing on enabling that innovation, basically. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what Voto said. We have the infrastructure in place. There's the data in place. And so all of the promise, right, that we thought was long there now has the opportunity for realization when these things go together. The, the truth is that if you look at generally the implementation of technology in healthcare, it's not a good story, right? Ask a lot of doctors, clinicians about their experience with electronic health records over the past 20 years. <laughs> I have people come and talk in my class about how horrible those stories were, right? I, I think what we've realized and, and Bono's describing really nicely is that these have to be technologies that are leveraged for better experiences for clinicians and patients. Right. And so we get people with a better understanding of that closer to the, the patient. You're seeing companies now, I mean, first, a whole bunch of more interesting consumer facing companies in healthcare and in prevention and, and leveraging wearables, but also companies that are increasingly clear on the specific needs of certain patient populations. Right. And so you're getting a refinement in the understanding and care and the specific needs of a group of patients. An example that I had participating in a class recently was a company called Ochi Health that's working just in the in the GI, in the gastrointestinal space. More refinement, better understanding of patient needs, and then products that are delivering value really tailored to the patient experience and to the different stakeholders, including clinicians. Amazing. So in this case, then, do you see, I wanted to ask you that question. I've had it in my mind for a while. Do you see that the adoption of all that new technology just like uh, we've seen it in other sectors, it's bringing threat in a way to the jobs and to the power within each of these sectors to certain elements, power of certain elements within that sector. So as that technology comes in, uh, do you see any threat in this case on a certain medical sector and the jobs associated with that sector? 
because we've heard a lot about, for example, radiologists and AI as, as one of the examples, but this seems quite obvious, but do you see other areas where this could be an issue in terms of adoption? Yeah, well, I, I think there's no doubt that uh, certainly some aspects of healthcare and what will be changed with machine learning, right, make a lot of sense. And you've heard those stories in, in, in radiology or dermatology and ophthalmology. I do think those will be occasioned as well for the use of tools that will enhance those professions. So there, there's an interesting story there to talk about. But yes, I mean, in what I'm describing, right, in healthcare, sometimes it's been sort of one size fits all, right? You're going through kind of this traditional state hierarchy system that we have. And I think as you see startups, you will see disruption of some of those incumbents. And so when you start to push and give better experiences for people, you know, within a kind of certain clinical indication patient population, and they're now doing better than they what they would have otherwise. When you see an increased emphasis on certain consumer experiences, right, and their healthcare changes in those ways, it's not going to be enough to do what we did before. And so hospitals and physician offices are going to have to adapt and do things differently because they're going to lose business. And so hopefully what that does is just push any increasing cycles towards better experiences overall. I mean, you go look at the state of healthcare right now. It's not good. Hugely costly, very bad patient experiences, right? Um, severe limitations in access to care. So there are all kinds of ways that we can start to increase change things. And startups, I think, will build that out and put a bunch of pressure on the system for everybody else to get better. So we'll see disruptions. Things will not stay the way they've been. Good. So the future is looking good. Yeah, in your view. I, am, I am extremely optimistic. I think, you know, I, I feel like we're getting to moments that I've been hoping for for a very long time. <laughs> so we, we have the, the infrastructure in place. I think what we have now is also a groundswell of public understanding and how things could change, which is really meaningful. And so... I think we're at a point where you see some substantial changes that we can get towards a better healthcare system for everyone. So yeah, now, I, I, I'm excited. And then now is the time, basically. Now this is the time. Now so is for the time. The, uh, in, in the last few minutes we have, I have one last question for you, which is what you are working on as well as what other startups are working on in terms of telemedicine is moving some of the controls. I don't want to say uh, all the controls, but some of the controls from the healthcare provider to the patient side. And this has been traditionally quite a difficult step for healthcare providers in terms of giving the patient uh, any type of control over the whole process of the experience. They will want to control the experience from the appointment all the way to when you get discharged. So giving some of that control away, in a way, to technology, so that we don't say to outside elements of the ecosystem, to technology do you, and to the patient, do you see a reduction in the quality of healthcare and in terms of how the healthcare providers perceive it because of the threats or the, the pushback they might see? Yeah, look, I, I think the, the perception is, at the beginning is always that there is a risk in losing in terms of quality. But the beauty about technology is we can adapt very quickly and learn from the problems and the issue that you face, right? And uh, something that I think our partners and clients have learned with us is you, you'll never get a product that is great on day one. We go live with something that works, that does the job, and we remain flexible. And one of the things that we always tell them compared to, let's say, an IT, a classic IT vendor or a software developer we're more of a partner. So when we go live, this is where the journey begins. 
a while maybe for a, a traditional vendor when they deliver the technology the contract is over and there is only a maintenance uh, contract that is there to allow if there is any bug or something like that while for us the way we approach it it's a subscription-based model and that allows you any kind of feedback and for us because we believe in being very customer centric all those feedbacks are areas of improvement and in building a greater journey so as an example i was giving earlier you start with giving a, a an online appointment and then you, you realize that there's a bunch of doctors that you just can't book online because there are questions to be asked first all right so that kind of triage came from a problem that we faced i'll give you another example which is a, a more a, a funny a very interesting one which is we faced a lot of resistance from a certain number of doctors were saying i don't want people to see that or my availabilities and the reason was you know they might think that i'm not a good doctor because i have too many availabilities or some of them maybe because they don't want to show the other doctors or competitors that they're not that busy and we had to deal with that right and the doctors were against it right and uh, and we had to find the solution so we created a feature called me make me look busy where they can configure the number of abilities <laughs> they can show to patients. And that opened the door to hundreds of doctors that were reluctant on, on being online. So really it was all about bringing that kind of different steps and configuration. And for us is really one of the challenge was every request that we get, we try to accommodate it, but making it as a feature that is configurable. So it allows scalability because as uh, Dr. Michael was saying it's not a, a one-size-fits-all right in, in healthcare but the idea is that if one healthcare provider is asking for something there might be others who want that in the future so we build it in a configurable way and this allows us to maintain a scalable product uh, where it's more about configuration rather than having different products for each healthcare provider but yes the, the at the beginning it was all about how can a patient access our system and how is that secured and then when we pass all that, and the good thing also about healthcare is that there's a lot of things moving on on the data protection, data privacy, compliance, ISO 27001, HIPAA, GDPR, and many other things. And, uh, and I think there, there's so much happening at the, uh, right now that it pushes us as te technology or startups to really comply also with, with those standards, but it also pushes the healthcare providers to kind of also try to solve those problems that they're facing. And really, we said it many times, it's all about how COVID has accelerated that. Because when you have too many calls and you, your business is going down because you can take appointments, you're willing to do anything right, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. right? uh, and when it comes, about, it comes to safety to patients, about you, know, you wanna solve this kind of problem. So this is really a, a great time to be in and, and, and really work very closely with uh, our clients and partners to build those features and, and this adoption. Okay, great. So le le for the, let me add then to persistence that you mentioned earlier for success as an ingredient of success. Let me add creativity <laughs> because the way you guys have solved all these problems is clearly creative. So what I want to really w uh, wrap up with one sentence in my case, which is, like you said, my time is now. It's about creativity and innovation. This is how we're going to take this to the next level. So uh, do you guys any, have any final thoughts before we wrap up? 
Well, uh, yeah, sure. I, I guess I would just say one. Thanks for having me. Great to meet you, Bruno. I, I think we truly are at an inflection point, um, and so everybody should be so excited about the ways that things can change, and it's going to lead to to better patient care, better patient outcomes. So, just to convey my enthusiasm for where things can go, I think we're at a really exciting moment. Like you said, the time the time is now, Jay. So, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, my pleasure. Well done. Thank you so much for, for having me. Thanks, Dr. Michael, uh, for, uh, for, for sharing this session with me. I completely agree with uh, Dr. Michael. I think the inflection point is here. And I, and I think healthcare had to catch up with the other industries that have really progressed uh, toward technology. And, and I think the, we're not, we don't have to wait anymore 20 years or 25 years like e-commerce or travel to reach where they are. It's a matter of a couple of years. And I think uh, we'll be there. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Fadel, Mike, truly a pleasure. I really appreciate you spending the time with us here. And to the folks who are listening, stay tuned for another amazing session. Thank you.